Hi, my name is Jonathan McMeans. I'm one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church. I wanted to let you know that it is our desire to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And one of the ways that we strive to do this is by posting weekly content on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. We have a podcast. And I wanted to let you know if this is the first time that you found us, we would love to know that you were here. You could let us know by going to heightschurch.org connect and filling out our digital connect card. Again, I'm so glad that you found us and God bless. Man, if you're new with us, let me just kind of catch you up, or if you haven't uh, been here in a, in a little while, we have been moving through the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, just literally verse by verse, and we've been in this letter for a while now, and the section that we are finishing up this morning is chapters 11 through 14, and we call this section kind of order out of chaos. Now, next week, we're going to start chapter 15, and we're going to look at hope beyond the grave. What, what happens when we die? Is there any hope? beyond the grave, or is it just you die and your body goes in the ground? And so we're going to spend a couple of weeks in chapter 15, and again, just going line by line through that and looking at the hope that we can have beyond the grave as believers in Jesus Christ. But this morning, we're looking back through this theme that Paul is touching on, on chaos. And what we've been saying through this series is essentially this formula, wherever there is chaos, there's going to be division, and where there's division, there's disruption. Okay, so in your marriage, in your families, if there's chaos, then chaos may lead to division in a marriage or division as siblings, division as, you know, cousins. And then if that division happens, there's a disruption in your marriage to love each other the way God wants you to love each other. You know, if you think even at your work, if there's chaos at work, well, now there's division that happens between coworkers. There's a disruption of the mission that you have at work to finish a project or to, you know, to sell a product. In a church, same thing happens. If there's chaos within a church, then you can have division within the church. And then when division happens, there's disruption in the mission of making disciples that God has called us to make. And so when we think about our culture today, it's not a lot different than the time of Corinth. Because would you use the word unity in our culture now? Would you use the word together? Right? Would you use the word peaceful? Oh, I mean, we would probably look and say, hey, if you gave me three words, I'd say chaos, division, disruption. I mean, there's all kinds of that happening all around us. And that leaves us, I think sometimes with this question that, that's just down inside of us. I don't know if it's in with you or it's with me only, but where you stop and you think about other things that are happening and you look all around and you hear stories and you talk to people and even in your own personal life, like, is there a better way? Right? There, there's got to be a better way of living than chaos and division and disruption. And as Paul's finishing up chapter 14 to this part of the letter to Corinth, he's going to give you three principles to show you a better way of living. And here's how I would just sum it all up. I would say this, that you and I are to live orderly lives to make the gospel clear. I said, so that's what we should be after in our lives, to live in such a way that we are making the gospel clear to others. 
So the way we live, the way we talk, the, our relationships we have with one another, it's so orderly that it's, it's clear when we share the gospel with other people. So let's look at how that clarity can be found in our lives. Let me give you three principles. First principle is going to be this, the principle of encouragement. All right, so we want to be people that are encouraging others. Let's pick up in verse 26. Verse 26, Paul writes, what then, brothers... When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, and let all things be done for building up. All right, so Paul's saying, verse 26, when you come together as a church, all right, and now uh, we got to remember contextually their gatherings are going to be a little different than our gatherings. All right, they're going to probably not meet in big rooms like we're meeting in. Maybe some did, but more than likely all these meetings are going to be in house churches. All right, so you're going to be meeting in someone's house. You may be able to get 20 people in there, 30 people, 40 people. There are going to be these house churches all throughout Corinth. So he's saying when you come together, now notice there's some elements of their gatherings that we still have here. All right, this is, so when you come together and you, and you sing and you pray and someone preaches. You know, if we go to Acts 2.42, uh, you would see the early church there have some of the same elements. You know, when you come together and there's teaching and there's prayer and somebody's serving and you're breaking bread together, all right? So when you have snack and life group or we have Lord's Supper, all these elements that we see found in the New Testament, we live out in our worship services uh, here today. We're singing, we're sharing, you know, stories with each other. You're serving one another. There's a lesson, there's preaching, there's prayer, there's all those elements, there's giving. And Paul's saying this, when you come together, it's for the purpose of encouraging others. All right, drop down to verse 31. Notice what he says there. He says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. So Paul, through chapters 12 through 14, has been on this theme of spiritual gifts. And we said a spiritual gift is an ability that the Holy Spirit gives you as a believer in Jesus Christ that you use to build up the faith of other people. And so here in chapter 14, when you come together and you're using your spiritual gifts, Paul's saying, you're doing it to encourage others. You're doing it to build up the faith in other people. You know, as a church, we have four core values that we seek to live out. And one of those values is the value of serving. That we want to be a church that serves within our community, but we also want to be a church that serves each other. And so we want to take those spiritual gifts that we have as a church, and we want to serve each other with them to encourage each other to build up the faith in one another. And then, so that's right now why you have those green books kind of out called Serve Initiative, where we've laid out all of our weekly programming here at Heights, all the ways you can serve on an ongoing basis. July 25th, we've got a Serve Rally, where we're coming together as a church, and we're going to worship together on that Monday night, and then we're going to break up into our different teams and divisions, and you're going to have training and opportunities as a group to talk and see how we can serve better in our church. And so if you're an ongoing person that's serving, you want to keep serving, you come that night. If you're new and you're just signing up to be in a ministry for the first time, you come that night. If you're interested in serving in a way, you come that night. If you're sitting there right now thinking, should I come that night? Yes, you come that night, right? 
is that's for you. We want to serve one another. We want to build each other up because when we're doing that and we're serving others, we're showing a different gospel, a different message to the culture that's divided, that's chaotic, that's more about me instead of about we. We're showing people there's a better way, and that better way is through knowing the Lord Jesus. And so first principle in living a life that's orderly to make the gospel clear is the principle of encouragement. Let me give you the second principle. It's the principle of order. And so we want to live orderly to make the gospel clear by encouraging others, but then we always just want to live orderly lives. Now, Paul, picking up in verse 27, is going to start addressing three groups in the church that's causing disorder. All right, so let's look at the first group, and it's the tongue speakers. Verse 27, it says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three, and each turn let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. All right, so there's three groups and he's going to address in this section saying, listen, you guys are causing chaos in the church. You're causing disorder. So we're going to get this thing orderly in order to make the gospel clear to others. And the first group is tongue speakers. Now, Pastor Matt, last week up in the beginning of chapter 14, gave you a definition of speaking in tongues. And while I was in the Dallas airport, I heard it. And I was like, all right, that's a good definition. And I'm going to use it this week. And so Pastor Matt said, essentially, speaking in tongues is this. It's the supernatural gift to speak in a previously unknown language, all right? It's the supernatural gift to previously speak in an unknown language. That's speaking in tongues. Now, I know as we've been talking over the last couple weeks, there's a lot of questions about spiritual gifts, and is this one still being used today, or what about this one, or what about this one? And in my time, I can't answer all those questions for you, so what we've done is starting tonight, and next Sunday at 5 o'clock in the fellowship hall, we're going to have two-week equip group class on spiritual gifts. Pastor Matt's going to lead tonight, and he's going to talk about the gift of tongues. Is it still being used today or not? So you guys bring all those questions tonight, all right? Because next week's my week, and then y'all can throw some softballs my way, all right? So you got those questions. You bring them tonight, 5 o'clock fellowship hall, and we're going to have some good conversation on that. But here's the problem, and stop and think about it again. Just maybe go to your own home, your own living room, and maybe you can fit 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, or maybe in your backyard you can fit a good number of people. What's happening in the gathering is you got all these folks starting to speak in tongues. Nobody knows what's going on. Nobody knows what's being said. Nobody knows what's being taught. And so what Paul's saying is like, whoa, 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 hang on. If you guys are going to do this, there's an order to do this. Do it in an orderly way. Have an interpreter that's making it clear what is being said. If you don't have an interpreter present, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't speak in tongues right there. Just, just hold off. Right? And so we, for some of you, maybe you come out of different backgrounds, different traditions you've seen on TV, where you may see someone now speaking in tongues, and, and you get the idea that it's this losing control of your body. Right, and the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and they've lost all control. That's, that's not what Paul's going at here. Paul's showing there's an order to this. This is not the person losing control, and it's a static speech. No, there's an order in what's happening in them speaking in tongues. And Paul's saying, follow that order. Why? Because we don't want confusion in our gathering. 
We want the word to be clearly taught so the gospel is clear to others. So the first group is the tongue speakers. The second group are the prophets. All right, it's the prophets. Now again, Pastor Matt defined prophecy, the gift of prophecy this way last week. I'm going to lean on that again. He said the gift of prophecy is speaking the word of God, a word from God, or a word about God to someone. All right, so the gift of prophecy, speaking the word of God, a word from God, or a word about God to someone. All right, so sometimes in the Bible, though, prophecy is kind of foretelling. All right, this is about to happen, but what you see over and over, more than that is really the gift of speaking, public teaching, public preaching. All right, so that's the gift of prophecy. But pick up with me in verse 27, or excuse me, verse 29. He says, let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let it first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So again, what we're looking at here is a principle of order. Living living an orderly life to make the gospel clear. And he's addressing the prophets, those with the spiritual gift of teaching. Saying when you all get together, stop teaching all at one time. (laughs) Go one by one. Take turns. Think about it this way. If we took all of our adult life groups, we've got nine adult life groups that meet on campus at nine o'clock. If we took all of our adult life groups next Sunday and would put you all in here all at one time and told all our life group teachers, go, right? How's that going to go? How's that going to sound? It'd be crazy. It's going to be like, what in the world's going on? I, I can't hear my teacher. I can't, I, I don't know what's happening. This group over here is talking about this, and they're talking about this, and they're talking about this. The gospel's not clear. It's not being clearly taught. Right? And so Paul's saying, essentially, stop talking over yourselves. Take your turns. All right? Ask your questions. Go one by one. Because we want to make the gospel known and clear. So our, our first group kind of grow, you know, giving chaos is the tongue speakers. Second group, prophets. Third group are women in the church. Let's pick up in verse 34. Paul says, as in all churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn... Let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. And all the men in the room said, nothing, right? (laughs) Nothing. Way to go, guys. I was trying to set you up for that one. You would have been at my house on the couch, right? But what in the world is going on in these verses? Because if you were here a few weeks ago, Back in chapter 11, when we talked about head covering and how, uh, you know, all that, and I'm not going to get into that whole can of worms again, right? But if you just kind of take you back to chapter 11, chapter 11, verse 5, Paul says, women, when you pray and prophesy in church, okay? So women, when you pray in the services, when you teach in the service, make sure your head's covered. Men, when you pray and prophesy, make sure your head's not covered. And what Paul was getting at there is there should be some distinction in roles in men and women within the church, within the home, within society. And that's kind of what that whole message was about. But why is Paul back in chapter 11, verse 5, going, hey, ladies, in the gathering, 
when you pray and prophesy, do this. But now in chapter 14, in verses 34 and 35, he's like, ladies, don't say a word. Be quiet. You're supposed to be silent. You got something to say, ask your husband at lunch. What's going on from chapter 11 to chapter 14? Well, remember, again, we're talking about the use of spiritual gifts and to be used in an orderly way. And it to be used in a way that it's clear to where we're making the gospel clear and there's no confusion. What's happening in the church of Corinth, all right, and I don't believe Paul is giving just a universal principle for ladies never to say a word in a church, all right? You have to remember Paul is writing this to a specific church, and this is a specific issue for them. And the issue is essentially this. You have some women in the church that are causing disruption within the service. And it's probably the wives of some of the men that are teaching. And so these wives are causing disruption by challenging the authority and the teaching of their husbands publicly. And so Paul's saying, hey, don't, don't challenge them publicly. If you've got something to say, you've got a question, you, you, don't, disagree, you, know, you don't agree on something, ask it at home. You guys work that out in your home. But by you doing it publicly, it's causing disruption and it's causing confusion among the members. So let's think about it this way. Let's just kind of bring it home to heights. What are, what are women's roles here within our church? All right, and I know this is, uh, again, a, a deeper, longer conversation, but let me just go over a few things very quickly, very rapidly that I think uh, we can all pretty much agree on. Number one, can women pray in our services? Yes, they can, and they do. Can women lead music in our services? Well, sure, they just did, right? You, you just saw women on stage helping to lead music. There's times maybe when Pastor Matt's out, then Angela Neal will come up and lead. You know, can women serve on some of our committees here at Heights? There's some churches that say, no, women serving on any committees. We have three committees here. We have a nominating committee. We have a personnel committee. We have a finance committee. Yes, we have women that serve on those committees. Since I've been your pastor over the last five years, I've really worked hard at balancing those committees almost on a 50-50 level between men and women. Why? Because we have a lot of godly women within our church that have the spiritual gift of administration and discernment, and they need to serve on those committees. Because a, a room full of men don't always make the best decision. All the ladies in the room said, amen, right? We need those voices in those meetings, right? So that happens. Can women teach? And that's kind of sometimes where the rubber meets the road, and, and you get a lot of different opinions. And I would say yes. And we have plenty of women who teach within our life groups here. Again, they're godly women that are God-called with the spiritual gift of teaching. We have women that teach within our kids' division, our student division, and also in our adult division. We have some women that are, again, spiritually gifted with the gift of teaching that are godly women that teach some women-only classes. We have some women that also teach within our co-ed adult classes. And what happens in our co-ed adult life group classes is all the men are the leaders of those classes. So all of our adult co-eds, we have men who lead the classes, but we have women who come in and they teach on a rotation. They may teach once a week or once a month or once a quarter. I was in a life group this morning that Terry Blackwell taught and she did First Kings 19. She did a wonderful job. She did a great job. So can those things happen? Yes. Can women be pastors here at Heights? The answer to that is no. 
And we believe here that the Bible is crystal clear that women cannot be pastors because the office of pastor is limited to God-called, biblically qualified men. But here's the final question on all that. And I know that's a long, deeper discussion we can have. And I'm welcome to that. If you have more questions, you want to call me, you want to email me, you want to sit down and talk with me, I'll be happy to flesh that out with you a little bit more. But here's really a fundamental question as I just end that part. Can we disagree on some of those elements and still love Jesus and still be about loving and leading all people to a new life of Christ? Yes. So Paul is addressing this issue to say there should be order in what we do so that we're making the gospel clear to others. So the first principle is encouragement. We want to encourage people by using our spiritual gifts to build them up. We want to live orderly and operate orderly as a church to make the gospel clear. Let me give you the third principle, and that principle is the principle of authority. A principle of authority. Verse 36, Paul says this, Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones who it has reached? If anyone thinks that he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he's not recognized. So my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy. Don't forbid the speaking of tongues, but in all things should be done decently and in order. So Paul's given us here the principle of authority. That as believers in Jesus Christ, we're to live under the authority of God and the authority of his word. But did you notice verses 37 and 38? Because that's the key verse. Because Paul's saying in verse 37, what I've been writing to you in this letter, it's not from Paul. It's from the Lord. This is the word that God has given me. So if you're rejecting me, Paul's saying, you're ultimately rejecting the Lord because I'm under his authority. See, all the way back, the very first thing Paul wrote to this church, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, he said, I am Paul, who is called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So Paul, when he starts this letter off, is essentially saying, hey, listen, I'm Paul. I didn't pick this. God picked me. I didn't want to be an apostle. God called me, and I'm here just to tell you what he told me. And if you're call, you know, causing issues with me or you're rejecting me, you're not really ejecting Paul, you're rejecting the Lord because that's who I am. I'm called to be an apostle and I'm here just sharing that message with you. So Paul's saying, reminding them as he's reminding us that we're to be under the authority of God. We're to be under the authority of his word. And when we're under the authority of God and his word, things begin to be clear in our lives. Confusion begins to go away. We can live a life that encourages others by using spiritual gifts. We can live lives that are decently in order to make the gospel clear to others because we're under the authority of God. I thought about it this way the other day when I was down at Surfside. You know when you go down to the beach around here, whether you go to Surfside or you go down to Galveston, the water is just blue and clear and whew, man, it's great, isn't it? Man, you get in that water and what? It's brown, it's dirty, you know, there's sometimes warnings like, hey, if you got open cuts, this isn't your day to swim, right? I mean, and you get out there and you get about waist deep and man, you, you can't see anything around you, yeah? It's murky, you can't see your feet, you don't know what's swimming by you, 
If you go underneath the water and somebody's underneath the water with you, you're certainly not seeing them. I mean, you just, you don't see anything when you're in the water around these parts. But if you go to the Gulf side of Florida, you go around Panama City Beach, or you go around Destin, Florida, around that strip, and you get in the water down there and it is blue and it is clear. A couple years ago, we were on vacation down there with Sanders folks. And I mean, you could get out about waist deep and you could see your feet. You could see the fish around you. You could see just everything happening. And you know what's interesting about that? Same body of water, still the Gulf of Mexico, but it's totally two different swimming experiences. One experience down here around Surfside Galveston, man, you're going to get out there and you just don't know what you're going to find. You don't know what you're going to see. It's kind of chaotic. It's blurry. It's murky. As you go down the Gulf side of Florida, whew, you're going to be able to see everything. And you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a life that's chaotic. I don't want to live a life that's murky. I don't want to live a life where I can't see things clearly. You know what I want to do? I don't know about you, but this is what I want. I want to live a life where I can see things. I want to live a life that's clear. I want to live a life with clarity. I want to live a life that's not chaotic, but it's peaceful. You know how you find that? You know how you find that kind of life? It's just right here. You get under the authority of God in your life. You get under the authority of his word. Because that's what Paul said earlier up in verse 38, that God's not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. So when the word of God comes in your life and you say, God, I want you to have your own way in me. Lord, I'm just, I'm turning myself over to you. And Lord, you have your own way. Whatever you call me to do, I'm doing. Whatever you say to do, I'm going to do. Lord, I'm going to obey you. I'm putting myself under the authority of you in my life. Boy, that confusion goes away. That peace is found. That life becomes a little clear. But if I could just be real honest with you, there's some of you today, your life's murky. It's chaotic. If you looked at your marriage today, you know there's chaos and division there. You know there's friends out there that you have that, man, y'all are at, at, at division with each other. You need to forgive or they won't forgive you or you need to go and try to reconcile with them. There's things within your relationships, your home, your workplace, your own just personal life right now that it's murky. It's chaotic. You're not seeing any of this clear. You want to know why? Honestly, it's right here. You're not under the authority of God and his word. You're rejecting that authority. And when you as a believer in Jesus Christ, you live that chaotic life, you live that life that's not clear, and somebody's just, it, it doesn't make sense. That makes sense what Jesus is all about. You know why? Because you don't have that peace with God that the Bible says you can have. And when you come over here and you go under the authority of God's word, Romans 5.1 says that you're justified by faith in Christ Jesus and you have peace with God. And the reason some of you, you don't have vertical peace or horizontal peace out right now, out in your relationships with your marriage or your friends or your parents or your, you know, coworkers, and why all that horizontal stuff's all messy and murky, it's because you hadn't got the vertical relationship right. And the only way through peace with God is through Jesus. And it's to come to Jesus and say, I'm trusting you by faith and faith alone for the forgiveness of my sin. For some of you, you need to do that today. You honestly, you need to come to Christ and say, look, 
I, I'm not a believer in you yet, but I'm ready to trust you today by faith. Have my sin forgiven and have new life and peace with you. Some of you, you know that. You've done that. You trust in Jesus, but you've moved over into this chaotic, murky water. And, and you're just not under his authority. Holy Spirit's calling you to do something. He's calling you to serve in a ministry. He's calling you to forgive somebody. He's calling you to reconcile with somebody. He's calling you to make a decision. And you're saying, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be my own authority. I'm going to be my own boss. I'm not listening to you. And until you start listening to him, it's going to stay chaotic. It's going to stay murky. That division is going to still be there. But let me tell you, when you come and just pray one simple prayer, God, have your own way. Just have your own way. Boy, that peace starts coming. That mind gets at peace. That heart gets at peace. Life is going to be more peaceful. And that's what I'm invite you to do today. Simply pray that. God, have your own way. Have your own way in me. I'm just going to lay my life down under your authority, what you call me to do in your word, what you call me to do now by the message of the Holy Spirit. Have your own way, God, and I'm going to go do that so I can make the gospel clear to someone else. Let's bow in prayer. Father, I want to thank you for joining us and watching today's message. And I want to just go over a quick story with you that's a really important story in the Bible, and it means a lot to me. It's about a man by the name of Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus was a guy who pretty much grew up going to church all his life. And one night he comes to Jesus, and it's late in the evening, and he sits down with Jesus, and he essentially asks him a question. Jesus, how do I go to heaven? How do I get into the kingdom of God? And Jesus responds in John chapter 3 that you have to be born again. Now, Nicodemus asks a very practical question. We all would think, well, how in the world can someone be physically born twice? But Jesus wasn't talking about a second physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth, that you have to be born again. See, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that without Christ, our spirits are dead, that we're not able to worship God and love God and honor God. But then when we come to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our lives, Jesus helps us to be born again. He gives us new birth and our spirits come alive. And so Ephesians chapter 2 again then says, Then by grace you have been saved. It's not a work of yourself. It's the work of Jesus in your life. But listen, that has to be received. You have to receive that gift of grace in your life and believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of your life. And simply put it this way, did Jesus do everything he possibly could do to save you on the cross? Or is there something else out there? Is he the only way or are there other ways? You know, the way to be saved is to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. And friend, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future. And when you die, one day he will take you to be with him in heaven. And so when you think about the wonderful promises of Jesus, I want to encourage you today, right where you are, to receive them and believe in him. And so if you are ready to do that today, let's just bow in prayer. And I'm going to encourage you in your heart today to mean these words because this is what God says, that when we believe in our hearts that Jesus has died on the cross for us, that we can be saved. So would you pray with me? You can simply say, Dear God, today I believe Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. I'm placing my faith and trust in Him in Him alone. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin 
and one day taking me to heaven to be with you forever. Thank you, Jesus. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Friend, I want to thank you so much today for watching our message and encourage you, if you've prayed today to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, please let us know so we can come alongside of you and encourage you, help you take your next step of faith. You can connect with us at our website, heightschurch.org slash connect. You can even leave a comment here on this YouTube page and we'll be in touch with you because we want to just come alongside of you and help you take that next step of faith. So until next time, thank you for joining us today and we'll see you soon.